Good morning. We are starting our Sunday School class on Devoted to God's Church. Just for the record, this is number seven, the Sacrament of the Lord's Supper. So by way of introduction, let me comment about what a blessing it is to study this sacrament on a day in which we're observing it. So I hope that uh, that things that we've said in the last week, for instance, the preparation guide that I, I publish a week before, as well as the things that we uh, will study this morning, will be a blessing to us as we celebrate the sacrament together. Also comment, like I did with my last lesson, like baptism, the subject of the Lord's Supper is, is a very rich subject. It's deserving of much study and has received much study. I thought about bringing several books that are written on the topic of the Lord's Supper, and I have a stack that is, is very tall that is just devoted to, to this subject. It is also, like baptism, a, a, a subject of a variety of differences of opinion. For instance, the contents of the cup, the, uh, the type of bread that we use, how often it should be, uh, should be uh, observed. It's not my intention to go into those differences. The aim of this study has been to, to explore the blessings of what God has given to us, the blessings of the grace that he gives to us to run the race of the Christian life. So uh, rather than digging into those differences, I'll be concentrating on the, uh, on the blessings in the handout that I've given to you, I've identified uh, several, what I'll call uh, high points of the blessings of the, uh, of the sacrament. This is not an exhaustive list. As I said, there are volumes that are written on this subject. And so I take this today as an introduction and an invitation for you to be thinking more deeply about the Lord's Supper, kind of like baptism as well. Uh, baptism, I asked, when was the last time you even thought about your own baptism? Uh, we have a more regular observance of the Lord's Supper, so you think about it more, but it's possible to fall into kind of a mere uh, ritual observation that you just go through the motions, and uh, that is, uh, the, there's no blessing in that. I'll say it bluntly like that. There's no blessing just in the mere taking of the bread and the cup. It is, a, uh, it is a means of grace. We'll move into that first point. It is a means of grace by which God nurtures your faith. And under that first heading, I'll just remind you what we mean by means of grace. And I'll even call it uh, normal means of grace. It's a phrase that is commonly used in the Reformed churches. Uh, and even more broadly than that, normal means of grace, it refers to uh, to the word, the sacraments, and prayer, and how God uses though those. And by normal, uh, I, what I mean is that it's not a, a flashy or a spectacular uh, occurrence. It is. It has a sense of of regularness to it. It's not flashy to uh, to the appearance of the eyes but that's not something that should make you shy away. God has said in 1 Corinthians 1 that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Uh, but it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe, just as an example of, 
of how a normal means of grace is something God uses. I also use the word normal in that they are what I'll call churchly. In other words, there's something that God has given to the local church for the observation, something to be practiced week by week, year after year. And remember that another theme of, of this study has been not just the, the grace that we receive individually as we are united to Christ, uh, the discipleship that is, is very personal. I'm also wanting for you to see that, that there is grace that's given to us as a body. So there's a corporate sense in which these normal means of grace are, are implemented in the life of the church. And so they are, they are churchly. They are practiced week by week, month after month, year after year, generation after generation. And as our covenant of communicant membership says, we, we use them in humble reliance upon his grace as we desire to give our account with joy at the last great day. But calling them normal means of grace is may, may be a little misleading because in another way, they are more than normal. They are also spiritual and that they are the gift and work of God's Holy Spirit to, to nurture our faith, to do exactly that. So God gives a spirit so that we hear his word and apply it as it is read and preached. We talked about that earlier. Uh, our prayers, which will be our next subject, are ones that the Lord gives his spirit to, to shape our desires and to, uh, to express our communion with him in conversation. And the sacraments, which are, are our subject now, are a way in which by God's spirit he communicates uh, his grace to us. He ministers to us and builds up our faith. That's just a very short uh in a sense, introduction to the idea of the means of grace. We'll go on now to, uh, to think about some of the particular blessings that the Lord's Supper is to us. And we'll start with the, the word communion. That is another word that we often use that refers to this sacrament. We talk about it as the Lord's Supper, uh, or we talk about it as the, the sacrament of communion. And if you just look at that word, it literally means union with. You can break up the word com meaning with and union following right after. So there is communion that we have with God through this sacrament. And it is in, uh, in it. It is symbolic of the, the union that we have with God through Christ. And I have a couple of verses here that are descriptive of that. Would someone read John 15, 5, and then someone Hebrews 10 and the verses there? He'll take John 15. Mark? And who will take Hebrews 10? Rachel, thanks. Me, you can do 
So before we go into Hebrews, let's just pause there. It's a very familiar parable that Jesus uses to describe our relationship with him. He is the brine, he is the vine, and we are the branches. And uh, abiding in him has that sense of union with Christ. And I've uh, I've often pointed to this, and and I've often pointed to my fairly inept gardening skills, but even I, who longs to to grow great tomato plants but don't do very well with it, even I know that if you cut a branch off from the vine, it's going to die. So it has to be united to the vine. But think of the other metaphors that the Bible uses that have a sense of union with Christ. Let me invite you to to think on your own. What are some of the other metaphors that the Bible uses that are descriptive of our union with Christ? Uh, A head and a body have to be united. Good. What else? Uh, Husband and wife are united together. Sure, yeah. If a, if a building has no foundation, if it doesn't have a cornerstone, it, it is faulty. It has to be united. Well, good. Uh, the, uh, the foundation that I've, I've spoken of, husband and wife, uh, each of these metaphors really emphasizes that there's a life-giving bond that happens between us and, and God. And the Lord's Supper is significant of that, right? The Lord's Supper is significant of the union, the communion that we have with God. It is a life-giving bond that he has established. And I use that term bond in a special way, too, thinking of, of the covenant promises that the Lord has entered into and has fulfilled and sealed them by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the union that we have with him is a union that is life-giving to us. It is secured by the covenant faithfulness of our God. And, uh, and we are, are participants and, and the, the benefactor of God is poured out uh, this wonderful blessing of union with him. So we celebrate that, and we, uh, we uh, more than celebrate it, we more than remark about it or memorialize it. There is an experience of it. For God has promised that Christ is spiritually present within the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And this is a mystery, and this is the place where we often will differentiate ourselves from the Roman Catholic who say that the body of Jesus Christ becomes, uh, or the bread actually becomes the body, the wine actually becomes the blood, and we say, no, that's not correct. Or the Lutheran version that says that the body and blood are, are in, with, and under the elements, that, the, that they are physically present. And we differentiate ourselves from the, uh, the memorialist who say it is, it is only a 
remembrance of what is happening. No, we assert that there is spiritual communion that is happening within the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And that we benefit by that in our faith as we grasp what God has done for us and as he ministers to us. He gives himself to us spiritually as we take the bread and the cup and celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And by that, we are reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ has opened up a new and living way into the presence of the Father, consecrated in his flesh, which comes from Hebrews 10, 19 through 20. Actually, would you read through verse 22? So the Spirit ministers to us in this sacrament. He, um, it is one of those vital relationships that is part of abiding in Christ. Think of the life that flows from the vine to the branch and the fruit. And think of the Lord's Supper as one of those means in which God is using to bless you in your faith. And because of that, we, uh, when, we, um, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it is not a mere ritual. It is coupled with the word so that you would hear and then in a, a visual, tactile way be reminded of what Christ has done for you. Go on to Thanksgiving. I'll pause after Thanksgiving for questions or comments. So here is another blessing, another way in which God ministers his grace to you through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is a, uh, it is a sacrament of thanksgiving. And it, uh, it, uh, the, the word that is, is used... Um, the Eucharist means to, to give thanks, which comes from Luke twenty-two nineteen. And I'll ask for a volunteer for the reading there. Get that, Jeff, for it. No, yeah, thanks. I hope that as you uh, as you hear that, it will hopefully call to mind a familiar practice in in our observation. We are uh, uh, are wanting to follow the Word of God in our administration of the sacrament, and so. Uh, and, and you can either remember or you can pay attention later as we go through this. Uh, there's a point which I remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body. And we also 
ask God's blessing on that, giving thanks for what has been given to us and asking God to consecrate the bread, which we believe is part of the sacrament. It's a sacramental act that reminds us that it is Christ himself who prepared himself to to be our sacrifice. And when he instituted the sacrament, one of his actions was to give thanks and uh, to give thanks for the, uh, the great gift of salvation that is accomplished through his sacrificial death. And so when we uh, call the sacrament sometimes a table of thanksgiving, it's a very appropriate title that we can use for it. We are reminded that the Lord has provided a bountiful blessing. Sometimes in my preparations for the Lord's Supper, I remind you of of the idea of of the the Master's feast that has been prepared for us. And in fact, the one that I had for just this week, I said, uh, think of all the way, all the things that have been prepared for us. God has prepared justification and sanctification and the invitation is to come. The feast has been, been made ready. So think about the, uh, uh, the, the many bountiful ways that God has blessed us. Think of the amazing gift of eternal life. And, uh, and you can add to just those beginning words and, and add a number of different aspects of thanksgiving over what Christ has done for us. And I've done that just as an example here drawing together five or six different verses that are are verses that 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 you can take and and read through and be reminded of the thanksgiving that we have for what uh, what Christ has prepared for us I'll choose out just a couple of these and leave uh, leave the rest in your hands so that uh, uh, you can read through them on your own uh, How about John 3.16? Someone can read that or maybe quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What reason is there to give thanks? Yeah. Maybe one of the most familiar verses, but again, something familiar can become commonplace, but just stop and think about that. You will not perish. You won't. Think about what was given to secure that. It is the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, who was given so that we might not perish. And it's an easy connection, isn't it, to the Lord's Supper, the body of, and blood of Jesus Christ, the body broken, the blood poured out. He was lifted up for our salvation. Uh, how about, um, well, it's hard to choose here. How about 2 Corinthians 5.21? Ask for a volunteer. Vicki? So what are reasons to give thanks from this passage? 
Yeah, good. Yeah, what she said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that flows right from the verse. Uh, he made us righteous. But again, uh, sometimes something common can can be treated common. Uh, it is uncommon that sinners would be redeemed and made righteous. That's amazing. It's worthy of of you giving thanks that he has taken his sin upon himself. And not just that, he's also made you righteous. If you want to... uh, uh, Think more about this. It has a has in mind our justification. That's the uh, the the theological concept that is being communicated there. It has the idea of our sins being imputed to Christ and His righteousness imputed to us. Uh, just a, a wonderful, rich blessing to meditate. On in the context of the Lord's Supper, and to give thanks. Before I go on and uh, and pause for questions, let me also just note that the uh, the giving of thanks is is the work of God's Spirit as well, and the not giving of thanks is is a is a sin of ungratitude to God that is noted in many places throughout the scripture. Um, most notably in Romans chapter 1, where the created world will not acknowledge God and all of the invisible attributes which are known there. They do not acknowledge God, neither do they give thanks. So uh, we are not those who are blind to the creation of the world or the creator or his invisible attributes. We are not blind to the redeemer and what he has done. But we can be an unthankful people. So it's a, an encouragement to you that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper that you give thanks as well. I'll pause there and ask for questions or comments so far. Abigail? just so that the generations to come can preserve that thought. Uh, Abigail said, coming to the dessert table with a big plate is, a, is appropriate. <laughs> I like, like that. Any other questions or comments? Well, let's go on. Go on to uh, to proclamation. 
There is proclamation that takes place in the Lord's Supper. We think about the preaching of the word, especially as proclamation, that there's an authoritative word that is being communicated by the servant of the Lord in, in, the, in the pastoral preaching of, of that. There is proclamation that takes place in the Lord's Supper as well. It is something that has uh, that sense of, of an authoritative message that is being communicated that, uh, that comes through in the, the commissioning that takes place in, the, uh, uh, in Jesus' ministry as he, as he gives the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to the disciples and the disciples then carry that proclamation that comes through in the sacrament on down into the next generations of the church. At, uh, we note, noted that in the sacrament of baptism. It's commanded in the, uh, in the Great Commission. But there is that same sense of commissioning that comes through in Jesus' words in 1 Corinthians as the when when Paul talks about the uh, the words of institution that were given to him, uh, I Paul, what I have received, I give to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, there's a commissioning of this authoritative, churchly uh, observation of a means of grace, and I say that to distinguish ourselves from uh, a practice of the of the sacraments that is growing in our day I, I think more and more where where sacraments are taken by the individual to celebrate themselves uh, so um, someone uh, I, I've jokingly said uh, someone like I might get up this morning and say you know what I think it'd be a great day to have have the Lord's Supper and uh, spread it out in front of myself and, and uh, take it for myself. Uh, baptism is, is happening more and more that way. You don't baptize yourself, but, uh, but a friend or family member might, uh, might do that. So I'm putting this in the context of proclamation so that you would see it as, as a churchly observation. It's something that is given to the body of believers and it's administered through the body of believers. And what is proclaimed? Well, this can be connected a little bit with some of the verses that I've noted under Thanksgiving, but I want especially to note some of the proclamations that come through. So uh, would someone read Isaiah 40, verse 1? Mark? And who will take 1 Corinthians 6, 11? I, Alan? And uh, Romans 5, 11? Rachel? Let's start with uh, Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In, uh, in Matthew Henry's little book called The Communicant's Companion, 
in speaking about the Lord's Supper, he has said, it is the will of God that his people should be a comforted people. And that is one of the things that is proclaimed in Isaiah chapter 40. And you might remember that the context of Isaiah's ministry was a context of distress. There was a a general decline. There were certainly revivals that took place during Isaiah's life and ministry, but it was a general decline that was taking place. And so God declares through Isaiah that there is comfort to be had. And that could be said in, in any age, really, that we live in distressing times. There are lots of things that trouble our hearts and our minds. We face the reality of our own mortality. We face a reality of our own sinfulness. These things can't be ignored. We find within ourselves the very sins that we hate. But in light of these troubling realities, the Lord's Supper proclaims comfort to you as God's people. And he uh, he, God, proclaims that authoritatively. Uh, there is also a proclamation of your freedom from sins. And I like that idea of proclamation in the sense of, uh, again, rising from our justification, thinking of how the Lord as judge renders a judgment concerning you. And there's uh, there's an open acknowledgement of your being right with God that is being proclaimed to you as you take that the bread and the cup. Christ for you. And that, uh, that's something to, to nurture and to, to give you a great deal of comfort. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, uh, this verse comes in the context of, of Paul's noting where some of the Corinthian believers have been. And that, uh, Alan, I don't know if you want to read more of that or not, but uh, I'll let you read at least verse 11 there. So in the Corinthian church, there were a variety of people who had been brought to faith in Christ, just like in the Stillwater church. There are a variety of people that God brings together with with backgrounds that have um, uh, idolatry and sexual immorality and drunkenness, and um, theft, uh, all sorts of sins. But such were some of you. That means there's that proclamation that you've been freed from those sins, that you've been cleansed from them. He's rescued you from that kingdom of darkness. He's delivered you from the power of Satan so that you are a new creation, a citizen of heaven, a child of God. Just drawing together a number of the descriptive words 
that the Bible uses to describe the newness that you have in life and how that is proclaimed to you. And the Lord's Supper then prompts you to meditate on uh, on not only the reality of your sin, but the... uh, And it's proper to do that, you know, the body is broken, the blood is poured out, and, and we tend in that direction because of uh, the graphic nature of the sacrament that way, broken and, and, and bloody. But you are redeemed. And while it's wise and proper to acknowledge our sinfulness, you, we don't stop there. There's a proclamation that that happened for a reason, and that reason was to set you free so that you would be a child of God. So I quoted from Matthew Henry before, and in that same light, he says, it is the duty of those that have received the atonement to take the comfort of it and to joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here he cites Romans 5.11. So you have received reconciliation, and and uh, Matthew Henry's quote is notable in in not just speaking of it as as a as a blessing, uh, and maybe approached as something uh, something neat to do every once in a while. It is a duty of those who have received the atonement to take comfort of it. And the Lord's Supper is, is one of those, those means in which you can, can joy in the Lord because you receive that proclamation uh, and in a sense appropriate it to yourself. There is an active nature to the Lord's Supper. We, we do participate in an active way. We take the bread, we take the cup, we eat, we drink the bread and the wine. And, and it's, it's, it is given to us and it is the work of the Spirit for us, but we also participate in that um, and, and do so in a way that is a blessing. Let's go on to consecration. Consecration comes through in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 22. This is a longer passage, but uh, it falls in the context of anticipating the words of institution in chapter 11. And I uh, ask for a volunteer to read those verses. Thanks, Jeff. The cup of blessing which you bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which you break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread one body. For we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the, eat of the sacrifices partake of the altar? What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than you? I hope you hear in those verses the word communion. 
of unity, of the bread and the cup that unites us to our our God and uh, our Savior and our and this Holy Spirit, there is uh, there is union that we have with Christ. The, uh, the the reason I draw your attention to this passage, though, is that our union with Christ means that there is a consecration to belong to Him and a separation from from all of those things that would corrupt us. And in this case, Paul is talking about uh, a practice in the, in the Corinthian, or, or in Corinth, of, of going to the pagan feasts, as well as going to the Feast of the Lord, and to celebrate the pagan sacrifices and the cups of the idol worship. And he calls them what they are. That's... Uh, that's the cup of demons. It's the uh, it's the, the, the cup of the enemy, and, and you do not belong to the enemy anymore. That, those two things don't go together. You can't drink from both cups. You can't have union with Christ and union with, with idols. You belong to Jesus. And the Lord's Supper declares that to you. There's proclamation again. And there's comfort again. It declares that uh, God has died for you, that you belong to Christ. That, uh, and, and there's something of a, of a declaration to the watching world as well. You are saying publicly, in the eyes of, the, of all of the world, I belong to Christ. He died for me, and I will give my life to him. Like what Sinclair Ferguson says in the book devoted to God's church, uh, it is the choice we are called to make every time we sit at the Lord's Supper and receive the bread and the wine. Will you live entirely and exclusively for the one who died for you or under the influence of the world that has rejected him? So there is a call that comes in the sacrament, a call to belong to Christ, to be consecrated to him. It's in the context of of grace, remember that, it's in the context of grace, you cannot save yourself, you cannot consecrate yourself enough, but that doesn't mean you don't consecrate yourself. (laughs) Uh, You you do, in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, proclaim, yes, Lord, I, I am yours by the blood of Jesus Christ. I will, I will be, be your child. I bit off a lot more than I could chew. I'll be very brief on unity in the body. I, ha- uh, I like to talk about our relationships in, in the vertical, our communion with God, right? And I, then I like to talk about our relationships on the horizontal, And the Lord's Supper has elements of both. I noted communion with God in point number two. That's the vertical. There is also union with one another that is declared in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It is something that we participate in communally. And I'll call your attention again to the fact that this is a 
a churchly observation, a, a corporate observation. And um, that aspect of the, um, uh, or the churchly nature of that came through in the passage that Jeff read, uh, and it came through in this way, it's the cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion with the blood of Christ, the bread which we break? It is not communion of the body of Christ. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There's that communal aspect coming through. Then later in chapter 12, and I'll read this just for the sake of time, for what, by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. In the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, there is, uh, there is that, effect of the body being drawn together. And notice that. I, I sometimes call your attention to it. Uh, not every time. I can't hit all of these points at every observation. Uh, but remember that there's a community aspect to this. And finally, I'll just uh, say one note on self-examination. And... 1 Corinthians 11:27, we are uh, commanded to discern the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that if we do not discern the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we eat and drink judgment to ourselves. Well, what does this mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that anyone can be worthy in and of themselves. There's no one who merits grace. That's just those two things don't go together. Salvation is always by God's grace alone and received by faith alone. So what does it mean? And here I'll quote again from Ferguson. So Paul means that the way we come to the supper needs to be consistent with its significance. And I like that. The way we come to the supper needs to be consistent with its significance. And he goes on, if we come while behaving in a manner that contradicts the gospel, then we are guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. For by our actions at the table, we are saying that Christ means everything to us. But by the way we live our lives, we are saying that Christ means nothing to us. So there is this consistency of word and deed that is is called into attention. Examination has in mind then discerning the body and blood of Christ, of understanding the meaning that Christ is all for us. Think of the meaning of the sacrifice uh, to, uh, by faith, believe that in Jesus your sins are forgiven and that in believing you are repenting of your sins and are committing to hate and forsake those sins, which is part of our repentance. 
Any questions on those last points, especially if you want to ask about self-examination? That has often been a subject that people confuse. These subjects are, in a sense, well known to us in the fact that we do celebrate the sacrament on a, on a regular basis. But I hope that by meditating on these benefits once again, that you would see the normal and abnormal means of grace that are given to us. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, as we close our study today, we want to thank you for the word that has been given to us in its written form, for the word that's been given to us in the living form in our Savior Jesus Christ, to the word that is preached to us and applied and the word that is shown to us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. May it be a blessing to us today and for years to come as we meditate on that wonderful feast that has been set before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.